You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me is my co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. You know, I've been doing so many um, Zoom meetings and such so things. Um, enough for me, right? Uh, and they're also happening around me at home. Uh, and so I'm... Um, this is always quite strange now to actually see you, two people in the same room. Six feet apart. Six feet apart. Well, two meters. Um, but, um, which is slightly more than six feet, as you know. Okay. Um, I actually don't know that. Well, I don't that know was, how many feet in a meter. I thought it was of, three. That was one of the first submissions made to Kyla's court, was these people who were disputing the metric and the imperial version of how distance they had to be. And I don't think you agreed to use that one in the end. I don't think I saw that one. Oh, well, maybe I deleted it. I definitely couldn't have adjudicated that. My math skills aren't that good. I'm a lawyer for a reason. So Kyla has a new program uh, called yes. Kyla's Court that uh, came out this week where uh, Kyla resolves small, petty claims. Fake claims. Fake claims. Or Almost, real claims. They might be real for all we yeah. know, but the rulings are fake. The rulings are the fake. Rulings are you fake. don't have to do what I say. I got a feedback on my first fake ruling. Did you? Yes. Um, the person who submitted it said she showed it to, showed my ruling to her neighbor. The ruling was about her neighbor's dog and her neighbor was very disappointed and didn't like my ruling. Yeah. So now I know what it's like to be a real judge. Well, there you go. Well, if they, <laughs> look, if, if they disagree, they can go to a real court instead of a pretend court. This is true. But uh, this is purely for entertainment purposes for all the people who are stuck at home looking for things to watch and have watched everything on Netflix and everything on Amazon Prime. And everything uh, on everything Quibi. Everything on Crave. If you really liked Chrissy's court on Quibi, you will find my court to be a low budget version of that. Well, and you don't have any guests because uh, she filmed hers at a time when you could actually have people together in the room. Yeah. Probably filmed it six months ago. Yours was filmed three days ago. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yes, it got a lot of good feedback, the very first one. And uh, so there's more Kyla's Court coming Wednesdays and Wednesdays Fridays. and Fridays, yeah. Maybe so. until the pandemic ends, maybe longer. Wow. Maybe until I get shut down by higher powers. Uh, could be. Um, <laughs> Sued by Judge Judy or something. Yeah, you never know. Well, <laughs> yeah, but this has got a different name. Well, you, you know, Chrissy's Court... It's Kyla's court. Um, Kyla's my name. Um, I know, I know, I know. That's the thing. I just, like, we thought of this a long, long time ago, mm -hmm. and we just weren't going to do it until there was a reason, and suddenly there was a reason when COVID-19 came out and I mean, everybody you, stuck at home. You think we weren't going to do it. I may or may not have approached a production company. Oh, well, okay. I didn't know about that. I mean, the point is you already have, like, four video series that you do. Yeah. I thought, you know, three, for sure. Three. I could have a podcast. like a, like a, you know, primetime TV show. <laughs> well, you could just put all of your, your four shows together. Um, half and, an hour. Uh, you'd have 21 minutes. Yeah. So. I'd have a half hour program of people who want to listen to me talk about the law. And 
I mean, maybe the people listening to this podcast would be the only audience for that because they tune in for an hour of me talking about the law. We don't well, talk 45, 45 minutes. minutes. Yeah. The, um, the uh, cases that should have gone to the Supreme Court of Canada but didn't video series, sometimes I just put it on and listen to it, try and learn something. And I think all those law students out there could, you know, basically there could be a class on cases that should have gone to the Supreme Court of Canada but didn't. UBC. TRU. You're struggling to teach students these days online. Just make them watch all those uh, all those episodes. <laughs> I submitted it for CLE credit and never heard back. Yeah, I submitted something for CLE credit back in October and I heard back a week ago. Yeah, I kind of want to so, like contact the Law Society and be like, yo, I've been filming these for like two years. I have to read every leave judgment. Well, they're not judgments, but read the summaries of all the leave cases, find the interesting ones, read the court of appeal judgments, read the applications on leave if they've been published on the website, which most of the time they haven't. And then, you know, pick from that. It's a lot of, it's a lot of continuing legal education I'm doing. And then I make it available for free to the public. There you go. So. Well, uh, I don't think you're going to be asking for any credit for Kyla's court because no. there's, there's not a lot of <laughs> law no in there, law. but it is pretty entertaining. I filmed them and uh, they're about two to three minutes each. Some of them went a little bit longer, I thought. I don't know. We'll see if there's any judicial cutting. The intro is really, really good. The intro is pretty good. Stephanie at Brazen Bull put <clears> that <throat> together and it's it's just like the intro to like the people's court. It makes me so happy. Yeah. No, it was very good. Um, so very entertaining. Yes. Now that's five minutes of mindless dribble drabble that we just did. And we have a lot to talk to, talk to talk each to. other about, talk about. Um, the first thing that we have to talk about is just so sad. It's just the saddest thing. It is the saddest thing, and it would be the only thing on the news but for COVID-19. It would be. Um, so if you didn't know already, you didn't know. if you didn't know, well, well you might, you yeah, know, we have lots of listeners know, in the U.S. Lots of people in the U.S., lots of people who, you know, may not watch the news, may not have a television, you know, lots of reasons people might not know. Um, they might be detoxing from the news because they're tired of the COVID story, but something became a bigger news story than that recently. It was a man who went on a killing spree in Nova Scotia, the largest mass murder in Canadian history. Yeah, it's absolutely devastating. It's, yeah. Uh, well, And there's so many questions um, to be uh, addressed. And um, Seems like he started by killing his <clears throat> domestic partner, and literally nobody is surprised by that, <clears throat> and then just <clears throat> kept going. Yep. But um, also the fascinating part about it, um, and the part creepy, that the creepiest part of well, it's all creepy, but relates to driving laws. Apparently, this person had a fascination with policing and would acquire and did acquire decommissioned police vehicles. And of course, these are often sold at auction. You can get them cheap. You know, get a good used car for cheap. Um, and he would remake them to look like actual working police vehicles and used one, apparently, in the course of committing this crime spree. Dressed himself up like an RCMP officer, um, traveled around this area of the province where he murdered all of these people, lit houses on fire uh, and other things, and people probably saw an RCMP cruiser drive into their yard and thought nothing frightening 
Yeah, open uh, the door. Probably open the door. Um, what and can I, I guess do we'll for wait you, and find out about the news. But well, the... so we're talking about like a relatively, you know, mid-sized town in Nova Scotia, what type of place where people would trust the police. Yeah. You know, you have a... Well, a... he drove up and down the neighborhood like he drove a ways away, but... If BPD showed up at my door and knocked on my door and I wasn't expecting them, I would question why they were there. That happened to me one time. And yeah. I asked them to state their names and badge numbers before I opened the door. Yeah. Then I realized that was kind of useless because I didn't recognize the names or the badge numbers, so it wasn't helping me, but... No, I know, but you you know, it's like... The but I know the pattern for their wanna, pin numbers, right? You want to open the... You, even if you don't want to open the door, you're, you know, you're, you're going to stand right behind the door. Yeah. You know, it's the police. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, the, the issue for us for driving law is the car. Um, so we see these cars come up with some regularity. Um, we've joked about it in the past. We've joked about using about getting it, one getting and one for marketing purposes. Doing it up, for acumen law, making B it look like BC a cop car. driving lawyers or something and, you yeah. know, uh, just parking it in front with a sign on the roof. Um, and never did it, but, uh, I was looking at and, and, uh, I showed it to Grant Gokitro and we both considered buying an old Dodge Dart in the States that was a former police car that still had all the, the police paint job and the old round light on the roof. <clears throat> and the Abbotsford police are right now doing a restoration of a, uh, a 1960s or early 70s police car that they've bought from the States um, to use for, I guess, recruiting and, and public relations. Yeah, well, um, fine if the police are doing it. Well, I know, and that's also an old car. But, like, you can buy a Crown Vic. Sometimes they show up at auction for 600 bucks. That's a former RCMP car. Mm -hmm. And you see guys driving them around, and half the time you think they're driving them around hoping that they won't get pulled over because they look like they're driving a cop They've car. They've still got, like, the cow catcher on front. Some of the times, yeah. The whole, you know, the full thing. And you, you're wondering after this whether or not manufacturers should be compelled to make a distinctly different-looking car different front end, different back end, and not sell that stuff aftermarket. You know, there was a company in the States, it was like Cobalt or something they were called, and they went bankrupt, but they um, were promising to build a specifically for police vehicle. And the way they designed it was good. It made sense. It was like seven years ago that they failed. Mm -hmm. Their cars were too expensive. They were like $70,000 priced. At. You could probably produce them a lot cheaper now. Um, but, um, they were making one that looked distinctly different from any other car on the road to be a marked police cruiser. And it was made to be a lot tougher, um, with a, uh, high performance diesel engine, I think in it, special seats. So, uh, your, everything that you carry on your, uh, on your belt would, would rest comfortably. A, a lot of police officers complain about however yeah. their gun sits and pokes into them and, um, and the weight of the things on their belt. It was a specifically designed car that looked distinct. Uh, and the cars that they were driving in Nova Scotia were just Ford Tauruses or some equivalent that you can go buy at your Ford dealer. And that's what this guy did. It wasn't apparently a, a former police car that he was driving in this case. There was talk about him restoring former police cars. But um, this one was but just this one was he just one he made. purchased and made look like a police car. Well, I mean, or even, you know, put a ban on buying the material that's used specifically for police decals, you know, make the 
you know, there are rules, I think. I read this in a police report once, and I meant to look it up, and then it never became an issue. But there was... Something was happening. I don't remember. And my client had, like, red and blue flashing lights on his car. Well, that is illegal. That is sure. illegal. Yeah. I didn't know if it was. And I was like, I gotta look that up. But it is. Okay. Yeah. I, I did look it up once. Okay. Maybe it was the same file. <laughs> yeah. I was curious about it. Um, the, uh, yeah. no, I walked out to my, my, uh, F-150. We have a office truck one day and I had two ties sitting on the dash in the center and one was red and one was blue. And I was like, God, geez, that kind of looks like red and blue lights. And I was joking with a police officer about it. And he said, well, yeah. yeah. Of course I knew about that too beforehand, but, um, I left those ties sitting on my dash for a long time. Red and blue ties, I think were probably acceptable. Yeah. Now you can't wear a red tie because it's the Donald Trump tie. And... That's why I stopped wearing it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it sat on my dash getting, gaining dust for probably eight months. Yeah. The, um, but no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe manufacturers should be selling, um, police cruisers that have something, you know, different metal work about them, something yep. that is distinctly different about them and don't resell them with that. It'd be really easy to put that requirement in place because as far as the manufacturing requirement, that could be done by an amendment to the Motor Vehicle Act regulations. Um, put a specific division in for emergency vehicles and, and some type of alternative, we you have know, body style. We have legislation in BC, um, that prohibits, uh, armor in vehicle. Yeah. I was going to mention uh, that. And, you or, can't have and bulletproof glass and body armor. Yeah. You and can, you have to apply for a certificate and there's got to be a legitimate explain. reason you're for a, it. You're a but money was, transport truck yeah, or you're not a, you're not private a drug security. <laughs> um, or you're somebody who's a target for some legitimate reason. Politician. Yeah, I mean, Salman Rushdie. Cool lawyer. Sure. <laughs> um, I should apply for it just to see if I can get it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, Larry David. Yeah, right. Well, know, yeah, there's legislation. <laughs> someone the who's point had a fatwa. Is, there's legislation <laughs> that says you can't do this unless you prove that you should be exempt and give a legitimate reason. But it'd be easy because like every American car they've been able to stick a different grill, a different bumper, a different front end, a different back end on them every couple of years. Just make it so it looks distinctly different. Change, yeah. change the shape of the front fenders, change the shape of the, the hood a little bit, you know, put a different bulge in the hood and make the grill look very different and the, and the back end look very different. And then when it comes time to sell those cars, the police can do one of two things. They can convert them back. Mm-hmm. Or not sell them to the public, crush them. Well, I think it's just an outright ban on selling them to the public. I mean, I know that they mile out the vehicles and then they auction them off, but the government can't raise that much revenue from auctioning off. Well, when off. they're selling for $1,200. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, crush them. Crush, crush them or like, I don't know, donate them to like organizations that would use them for charitable purposes. Yeah, I don't know what that would be. That's hard to... Hang on to it for a long Food period of time. Food banks or something. It out. Yeah. Meals on wheels. Yeah. And they're driving around in a police car and then they have to sell it. Yeah, but the, the well, as soon as they're done with it, it's going to be not worth anything. It's going to be scrap value. Anyway. I just don't think, I just think maybe we need to revisit this. Yeah, well, you can't, you know, you can't empower people to impersonate police. And it's, it's horrific what happened in Nova Scotia and, you know, would this have changed anything? Probably not, but 
maybe it would have made a few more people not open the door. Yeah, well, that's all I'm thinking, is if you see a car that you know is not a is not a proper police car when you're looking at it. Then you call you know, them After one. 15 years or 10 years of people knowing that this is what a police car looks like, and this is not what a police car looks like, people well, might d- think differently, and it might have been easier for the other police to spot the vehicle for people who just saw it. You'd have kids, like the police it. would come into the elementary schools and they'd say, here's how you can tell a real police car from a fake police car. Exactly. And then the kids would go to their parents and while they're driving around, they go, look, mommy, that's a real police car because it's got this. Who knew that we ever had to worry about this? That's... Who knew that we ever had to worry about airplanes being flown into buildings, you know? But you know what? How much actually changed after 9-11? We have more airport security. And most mostly that's just a joke. People just laugh it off. Look, I I went through airport security one time with a railroad spike in my bag. And when they found it, I laughed and they let me on a plane. Oh, I mean, yeah. they took my spike, but <laughs> they let me on the plane. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a railway spike. It's not exactly the best weapon. It's a <clears throat> big, heavy piece of sharp iron and it's rusty so it can give you tetanus too. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm... I, I suspect we will see some change in this regard because it's, um, you know, somebody will, will, uh, you know, somebody else, we, we shouldn't have to live in fear of this. No. Of somebody else doing this. And, and it's a simple and thing to RCMP do. And the RCMP and I'm sure the, uh, uh, the federal and provincial governments are thinking about this now. It's not something that we would have considered before. It's not something you would have considered a threat before, but now that we know that it is, um, it's a change that we're going to have to. We're and gonna have to make. It's a change that is not <clears throat> negatively going to impact anybody. I I know this looked like a marked car, but I have a real problem with police cars these days. That there are so few marked cars, particularly in mm-hmm. Vancouver, uh, and that the um, the even the marked cars, all painted black, look very dark, ominous, and threatening. And I would much prefer police cars to be standardized like they are in Europe um, and, uh, with a paint scheme. I used to like the ones in Germany were green and white. They were quite pretty. And the rest in Europe now, they think they're blue and silver or something. Um, you know, they could go standardized, similar to the RCMP colors across the country. In Edmonton, when I was growing up, they were yellow and white. And all the fire trucks were yellow. And somebody had done a study about being able to spot them in the snow. And that was the reason for it. But then whenever tourists would come, they'd always be trying to hail a, hail a city of Edmonton police car for a taxi ride. <laughs> <laughs> police were embarrassed by it. Yep. Fair enough. Um, okay. Moving on, because I can't talk about this topic anymore. There, I'm going to cry. Too depressing. Uh, um, I'm going to talk about something else that makes me want to cry, which is arbitrary detention. Oh, the uh, Ontario case. Yes. Case out of Ontario. This is another uh, Peel Regional Police in the Brampton Courthouse. And I've been there in the Brampton Courthouse. And I was running a trial. And the police officer, like, lied by omission. Um, never testified about the my client having an open bottle of liquor in his car. Ooh. The police officer carried it in, brought it in, had it there. The... Um, prosecutor didn't really ask for that evidence although it you know should have come out in any event and um the uh just didn't testify about it i was okay with it i was able to use it in the way that it went but yeah 
So this is basic facts. Uh, this is Regina and Thompson. It's Ontario Court of Appeal. Um, and in this case, the individual who was charged was just sitting in his police vehicle, or sitting in his police vehicle, in his vehicle, parked um, in a shopping plaza, um, and sitting there, maybe or maybe not, smoking a joint. And there was some information that the police supposedly had that there was a drug deal that was going to go down. So they see this guy in his car in the parking lot at night. And they do what any completely irrational police officers would do. Pull up behind him, box him in. Yeah. Um, parks in such a way that obviously he can't leave, making it clear that he can't leave. And then they go up and... Uh, engage the occupants of the vehicle in conversation for 21 minutes before we yep. get to write to counsel Tw 21 minutes mostly <laughs> about this smell of pot from this parked car in the parking lot which may or may not even be unlawful no i know i was thinking that too i don't know when it was i didn't look at the date the of conviction the was 2017 so it would have been it then. Would have been unlawful yeah. then yeah yeah that's really old wow two years oh this is the court of appeal now yeah but two years from a conviction so the then, conviction was 27, yeah. Yeah. Long time like, to get the appeal on. Wow. Okay. Well, whatever. It got on. It got heard. It got one. <laughs> it's, uh, well, I like witty, the Court witty, of Appeals for... comments about, like, this is the Peel Regional Police. This is, so many of these cases seem to come out of this particular jurisdiction. There's, there's a long history of Peel violating the right to counsel. I won my uh, Peel file my appeal impaired on a right to counsel violation. Is that the one with your hilarious cross-examination question where where the guy gave a name and the officer said, I don't know if that's a lawyer, and you said, well, with a name like so-and-so, you had to assume. Uh, yeah, no, that was in Alberta. That oh, was okay. in Alberta. Yeah, no, it was... Uh... <laughs> It was a, yeah, it was a really Jewish name. And I said, with a name like that, you'd have to assume it was a lawyer. And the judge is looking at me like, yeah, of course, you know. I think the judge chimed <laughs> in and went, or a provincial court judge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, no, that was in, that was in Edmonton. No. That was in Edmonton. The police officer was completely oblivious, but the judge was, knew exactly what I <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, so these, these officers box this guy in with their, their police vehicles. And the issue that came to light in the trial was whether or not he was arbitrarily detained at that time. And the position of the police and the Crown was he wasn't detained because he wasn't going anywhere. He was parked in the parking lot. Um, so they hadn't detained him by boxing him in because there was no evidence and he never testified that he was about to leave. And so he hadn't been stopped from going anywhere. Not much of an argument, really, but yeah, like, it worked. How the, does this get to the Court of Appeal? It's it so absurd. Court. Yeah. Um, like it, who did, how did they persuade a judge that like, oh, just because you had no intention to go anywhere, you're not detained. Well, like I go home at, at the end of the day. Well, right now I'm home all the time, but I go home at the end of the day and I, you know, intend to probably lie around my house and watch Netflix and eat potato chips. Um, not probably on the potato chips, but then if somebody said, you know, came and, and, and barricaded all my doors, I wouldn't feel like I was free to do what I wanted to do, even if what I wanted to do was stay inside and 
eat chips. I don't think you need that example as a metaphor. I mean, you're parked in your car in a park, and a police car parks behind you so you can't leave. Yeah. That's it. There's Boxes a curb on one side and a police car on the other. <laughs> you, you might as well be in prison. So the, the court the court of appeal found that the issue isn't whether or not you had the intention to leave and were therefore detained, but whether or not you were deprived of your choice to do so. Which, like, that's like law school 101 psychological detention. But this is a good point. So we deal all the time with pullovers. And at what point is the person detained? And sometimes Kyla asks the police officer when they think that they were detained. And it's up to the court ultimately to make the decision. And but I'm allowed to ask You're them allowed that. to ask that. But the Court of you know, Appeal also confirmed I'm allowed to was, ask them about the charter. I know. And thank goodness. you got to remember that case because I know that you're going to get blowback as that uh, I always ahead. get blowback when I ask that question. I and know, nine times out of ten, decision. I get it to slide. I know. I know. They're like, you... You can't ask him about his charter compliance. And then I say, yes, I can, because he's trained in the charter and he's allowed to give me his opinion about whether he acted in compliance with it. Yeah, usually the judges shrug their shoulders at that point. If you, you know, not always. The judges just go, it's my decision about whether it's a breach at the end of the day. And I go, yeah. sure. Yeah. I but once I get the officer to go, yeah, I, I, I breached his rights, then yeah. it's hard for the judges to say that he didn't. Yeah. And for the police <laughs> officer to say, yeah, I guess I should have known better. I should have known better. Yeah, I, I remember that. Now I forgot all about it at the time. <laughs> Hold off. What's that? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, but we deal with all of these cases where people are pulled over. Mm-hmm. And there's always charter rights violated to some extent or another, and it's whether or not it's really going to be meaningful. And this is the first case I've seen that I can think of, and I'm sure there are, are probably others, where somebody's boxed in in their car in a park. And I've dealt with this before and not considered it. So I guess, you know, you're saying this is trite, and yeah, okay, it is trite. They're, they're keeping them from going anywhere. There's the psychological detention. There's the actual detention. They're being detained, but I, I think this is an important decision. I think it's important to, um, to make very clear that, you know, when this happens in a park, keep that in mind as a defense lawyer. Yeah. Because I've had people in this situation parked in the car where the yeah. police came up and, you know, I didn't think of the car being parked behind them as detaining them. Well, as far as I'm concerned, if you are approached by a police officer and the police officer has in their mind some type of an investigation, that's a detention. I don't care if, if there's no, like, psychological belief on the part of the person. The reasonable person sitting around doing nothing, who has a police officer walked up to them and go, anything to drink tonight, sir? Can I see your license? Or anything like that is going to feel like they have no choice but to comply. When you think of the circumstance where you're parked in a car, and I can think back when I was 18, 19, parked in a car and I had nowhere to go in a park uh, and the police pull up behind you and they just turn their lights on and you're sitting there in your car waiting mm -hmm. for them to come five minutes sitting in there in your car waiting for them to come meanwhile they're radioing in back in that day um, pulling out the IBM punch cards to find out all about the driver <laughs> driver now they're just of course checking on their computer system running your plate um, sorry but... IBM punch cards they used to use IBM punch card system in Alberta. That's I don't even know what that is. That was the computers, computer system when I started driving at the DMV. But, okay. Keep All right. Keep records in IBM punch cards. It's basically the equivalent of a hard drive. Okay. Anyway, 
So they would radio in and they'd try and find the information on this driver. Mm-hmm. And you'd be sitting there in your car for five minutes with a police cruiser oh, that had just on. turned its lights on. The Prime and CPIC searches still take five minutes. Well, okay. So it was, you know, maybe it was 25 minutes back then, but you know, but my, yeah. my digital watch didn't have a light. My, my thinking of it is I, whenever I try and assess whether or not there's a ten- detention, I think if I were the police officer and this person drove away, would I consider pursuing them? Not legal pursuit, but just going after them, uh, ticketing them, trying to find out who they are, or sending out a broadcast to be on the lookout for this person? And if the answer is yes, then in my mind, that's a detention. Anytime that they, somebody pulls away when the police have indicated in one way or another that they have an interest in them, yep. to them, um, they are detained from that moment that they've been. I like the language that's used in the Supreme Court of Canada decision in Subaru. This was like when they reformulated the test for exclusion of evidence, um, one of the companion cases, and it was all about detention. And it was this question of, of when a person is detained um, for investigation versus when they're free to go. And Mr. Subaru, there'd been like a credit card theft and he was in the parking lot of this place where this credit card theft had been investigated and the police officer walked up to him, asked him a few questions and then told him, you know, wait here and then went inside and then came out and asked him some more questions. And at that point, the officer was starting to suspect that Mr. Subaru was the credit card dude. So the court says, you know, is this just random questioning or is the person singled out for focused interrogation and i like that line singled out for focused interrogation because if you apply it to the context of traffic stops and police engagement with a vehicle if you have a police officer walking up and talking to the driver they are in all circumstances singled out for focused interrogation yes absolutely the so, police will never say interrogation of course the not do. I don't need the police to say interrogation. I just need them to say he was the only occupant of the vehicle, the only person you were talking to at the time. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. No one else you, you were interested in talking side. to. Yeah. yeah. There was a passenger. You didn't speak to the passenger. You didn't get the passenger's identification. Is that right? You were, you were interested in the driver. Boom. Singled out. Focus interrogation. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's how I like to think about it. But that is the, the state of section nine. So then the question in this, in this Ontario case became whether or not the evidence that was obtained as a result of this interaction between the police and this guy was admissible. And the Crown made another ridiculous argument. Which was? That because the evidence wasn't obtained directly causally linked to the arbitrary detention, it couldn't be excluded. Like, yeah, they found this roach and, and this cannabis, and so he was charged, but it wasn't because he was detained. Um, it wasn't the detention that led to the discovery. It was the search that was incident to the detention. I'm sorry, but I'm going to dis our justice system because as far as I'm concerned, all of the 24-2 analysis since Stillman was overruled in Subaru and Grant to me is just the do what you feel like analysis. Um, yeah. I, it's the, it's the uh, Bart Simpson um, episode from early in the Simpsons. Do what I do, what I feel like, man. Uh, and uh, anytime I'm ever making that argument in front of a judge, I always just feel so hokey. All right, let's go through the steps. Mm-hmm. Now it's, 
Does it, on balance, bring the administration of justice into disrepute? Where's the balance? Show me the scale. Show yeah. me the test. Um, it's the do-what-you-feel-like test. Sure. Okay, another case dealing with driving and the law and COVID-19, coronavirus. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so there's a bail decision, and we've been seeing a lot of bail decisions lately, you know, big concerns about whether coronavirus allows people to be released or not, but, like, not a lot of them touch on driving. There's lots of family cases coming out. Mm -hmm. BC Provincial Court has released, I've seen a couple of tweets about family cases. Um, I love the BC Provincial Court Twitter. I'm enjoying it. Say. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it these days. They and I also their game like a little bit. that they totally tolerate some light trolling when it's all in fun. A little bit of light trolling. Like yeah. I, I, I poke a little and they poke back and I like it. It's good. No, I, I, I don't know who's dealing with it now. I do, but I'm not allowed to say. Well, it may have changed because it's changed a little bit. It's the attitude has changed a little bit. Maybe. It could just be, you know, becoming more comfortable with it, but... I appreciate the court and uh, doing it, and I think it's probably a judge behind it, um, and it's great. So this bail hearing um, was for... Better than the, the Masset RCMP Twitter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One time the Masset RCMP started posting their high scores on video games to Twitter, so we know they were working very hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we mocked them for it. And then the tweets got deleted. So, uh, bail hearing. Crown Council seeking detention for a guy who was already on bail. Um, and he was charged with a bunch of offenses related to driving. So, fleeing from police and dangerous operation of a motor vehicle. And then he was released and he was put on a condition, unsurprisingly, not to occupy the driver's seat of a motor vehicle. And what did he do? Uh, he went and committed, allegedly, some uh, offenses of theft, including theft of a motor vehicle, and got some more charges. So, super great. Do you want me to predict what happened? What happened, Paul? I'm not going to predict, because I will... Uh, uh, or you want me to tell you what I think should have happened? <laughs> Why don't you tell me what you think should have happened? No, you could tell me what happened, and then I'll tell you... I will tell you what I think should have happened, but you No, because me. you're going to say, oh, yeah, I agree No, I'm not going to change it. No, okay. no, I I'm often sure. disagree. So you well, go ahead. Well, the issue was, you know, did he have a good release plan? And also COVID-19, the sort of, well, there's the primary, secondary, tertiary, what's the fourth theory ground? There isn't one. That's the COVID ground, I think now. There's no. the fourth theory ground. <laughs> I don't know the word for it. It's the COVID ground. There's no COVID ground. Well, people are trying to create a COVID ground. There's no COVID ground. People are trying to say... You can take all of it into account, balance it uh, with COVID-19. not fun. Not a COVID ground. Okay. Anyway, anyway he tried to say risk that... Risk of incarceration. The risks associated with being incarcerated at a time Detained. of coronavirus. Detained. Not incarceration. Um, pretty... Well, they use incarceration in... in yeah. yeah, in the judgment. But um, he tried to argue that, coupled with his super good release plan, where he promised to be good... Um, was enough to have him released in the court. Uh, paragraph 35 is this pithy line. To be clear, the coronavirus is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. 
It is a serious factor to consider and may tip the scales in some cases, but if an accused's risk is truly unmanageable, then it remains unmanageable, notwithstanding the greater risks posed by the coronavirus inside an institution. Detained? Detained. Yay! That was what... (laughs) Yeah, I knew you were going to say, no No, matter what. No, I didn't think I'd be right. I thought he'd be released. No, no, detained. I fully expected him to be released, not on the coronavirus basis, just because I see so many people are released who I would have historically detained. But But the law has changed since I used to do a lot of bail hearings. What (laughs) happened at the next paragraph, the, the secondary ground was what surprised me, the way the court assessed the secondary ground in relation to the driving. Because remember, this is driving law. Well, that's the thing. That's the threat to the public here. He says there are serious secondary ground concerns here. Excessive speed, dangerous driving, and a fail to stop notwithstanding police intervention and a spike belt. Mr. Anderson is on probation and subject to a driving prohibition when this is all said to have incurred. He was recently released from jail, having served fairly lengthy sentences for similar offenses and break and enters. So fascinating that the excessive speed and the dangerous driving, which of course you and I talked about on the podcast last week, then not just now, those two things together, uh, dangerous driving, criminal conviction, but also create a sufficient public risk to detain a person according to this judgment. Well, people are detained on Motor Vehicle Act offenses of driving while prohibited. If they drive while prohibited and drive while prohibited again and drive while prohibited again, they are often detained. It's very Uh, hard to explain that to them when they're detained. Motor Vehicle Act offense. It's not a real crime. Well, Well, I I know it's not a criminal offense. But you can't do it over and over again. What do you think? Anyway, the... um, But the secondary ground was the way to, to... do it here obviously it's fascinating and then... the threat to the public of the way that the guy's driving but the excessive speeding is the reason to detain somebody yeah i mean it's one of the factors i guess the, the judge says the balancing the judge says if a spike belt cannot immediately slow mr anderson down i do not think a release order will do so now that's a good point <laughs> now i want to know who wrote it and judge brown okay good mm-hmm. sitting where in Abbotsford. Mm. Yeah. So, um, but interesting to see, because I, th- I see this, although, although the Chung decision from the Supreme Court of Canada is not cited here, but I do see this as a cognitive extension of Chung. Maybe. Uh, I think he's just an asshole driving around in a stolen car, having done it before and done it he's before. presumed and... innocent, Paul. Yeah. Of the offenses that he hasn't yet been sentenced for? Yeah, he hasn't been found guilty, and the judge has to take that into account and the the strength of the Crown's case. But when you see the pattern of behavior, and this is operating a motor vehicle, which we generally consider is like driving around a weapon uh, in those circumstances, I would have detained him too. However, there's lots of cases where people are released, and I'm thinking to myself... I would have detained that person on a secondary ground. Well. Or I would probably be wrong. If they phone me when you apply for a judge position, I'll tell them, Paul's going to detain too many people. The, the, the government would probably. Fill up the jails. The government would probably <laughs> love that. Um, I hate the thought of anybody sitting in jail. But, you know, when you I see just... re- repeat offenders where they're doing something that is a threat, a physical threat to people, I I, I tend to think that 
detention is the only way in a case like that. I know. I do. Would you have released that guy? No way. Yeah, I would have. But you know me. I'm like, decarcerate now. Hashtag, like, empty the jails. Yeah. I, I don't want anybody Bleeding in heart. jail right now. Um, You know, that line about, about him being unmanageable and so he should be unmanageable in jail. Um, That bothers me. It's like you are so unmanageable in society that we'd rather throw you in where you're known to be at a higher risk of contracting a deadly disease. I hate the jail. I hate the idea of it. I hate the method of it. I think that it's, it's in, I hope that in 30 years we're looking back and we can't believe that we did this to people. Um, I don't know what the solution is. I'm looking at it thinking, I can't believe we're doing this to people right now. Um, but in a case like this, I think the protection of the public is the thing that it comes down to. Yeah, well, I would feel like utter crap if I were a judge and I sentenced someone to jail on a, like, on a sentencing that was contested with no jail or detained somebody in COVID times and then they died of it. Like, I would probably never get over that. I'd feel like it was all my fault that they died. I would. You'd get over it? I'd get over that. Well, I'm never going to be a judge because I'm too much of a bleeding heart. I'm never going to be a judge because <laughs> apparently I don't. Because you'd fill up the jails <laughs> and you'd sentence people <laughs> effectively to death. Yeah, I dressed in my blue suit this week for a, to give a presentation that was yesterday. People were writing saying, I obviously don't give a fuck anymore. Don't yeah. give two fucks. Okay. Well, yes, I guess I don't. No I'm, fucks given. No fine. fucks given. I can't be a judge. Yeah. You have to have fucks given to be a judge. Yeah. You have to really actually persuade yourself that, uh... There's, like, a level of taking yourself seriously with, with being a judge that I can't do. I can't either. No, I don't take myself seriously. No, no, neither do I. Unless you come for me. I'm going to, uh, yeah, at which point, you know, you, I know you're gonna, you're gonna bust a bottle and... Yeah. And, yeah, at which point. But, no, I mean, I, I've lived my life. I can pack it in any time. All right. Speaking of excessive speeding, how about that ridiculous driver of the week? The ridiculous driver of the week. Who is facing several charges, apparently, after a late night pursuit through Saskatoon. So he's driving down 8th Street in Saskatoon, and probably only one of our podcast listeners knows where 8th Street in Saskatoon is. Hi, Yon. Um, Hi, Yon. 50 kilometer an hour zone. Dude's doing 133. And impaired. And allegedly impaired. Allegedly yeah. impaired. Allegedly <laughs> doing 133, Kyla. <laughs> Refused to stop. Tracked by, like, the, the helicopter... Saskatoon, they have a helicopter? Yeah, That's yeah. a ridiculous waste of money. Well, they needed it. <laughs> yeah. And then they tried to disable the vehicle using a stop stick. What's a stop stick? Is that like a spike belt? I would assume. I don't know. I can Or is it, it like, you know, when you like are on stage and it's time for you to go and they put the hook on you? <laughs> I think that's just where they play the music. They start playing the music. Yeah, they just, like, that's what they should the do for bad speech. drivers. Yeah. Just play you start off. Da, 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 anyway, yeah, so he kept going after this mystery stop stick thing. So they tried another stop stick. Um, and still, 
he did not stop. And it must be a spike belt because the police say that then the vehicle continued just without tires, just oh. straight up on the rims, uh, where where it finally came to a stop. And by then it was at um, 22nd Street and Avenue P. And again, I don't know where this is, but it sounds like a long way. Because if you're at 8th and then you go to 22nd, that's a really long fucking way to go. That looks like a spike belt to me. That is definitely a spike belt. Um, so yeah, uh, apparently a drug impaired. But like, I gotta say, major points for not giving up. So it just looks like it's some sort of warning thing, but there's spikes in it that oh, fold out. Evil. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I think I points think, for not giving up. Points for not <laughs> points giving for up. Points for not giving you know? up, Kyla. Like, come on. <laughs> never give it up, Etude. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I would love to go through the facts of some of the cases I've had over the years, and I never will um, because I can't. There are things that I'll write in my autobiography, but it won't be that. Yeah. This... I was thinking this afternoon about what could be my actual autobiography title. Oh, there's more be there's more that you want to know. <laughs> there's more to that story. <laughs> That's what it's gonna be. Oh, there's actually there's a lot more to that story. It's very funny and I am wildly amused. Two times with the uh the stop stick. Yeah. Two times with the stop stick and then no tires, no problem. I just always I want to get that like tattooed on me. No tires, no problem. <laughs> I just always imagine the the Led Zepp plan. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's something else. I'm sure there's some like some sort of Drake or some modern music that I can't listen to. Every but I'm always just thinking of the immigrant song. Yeah, you you do that every time we get a driver like this. Every client that I that I talk to who's been in like a similar situation where they've been pursued by the police, they go for a long distance, they're driving like maniacs the whole way. They all say that it's like a complete out of body experience. Like they just lose control over their ability to choose. Like it's like a psychological thing. Well, that's good. There's a defense. We just have to get some psychologist to figure that out. I had a client who was in a like a Trans Am with the T roofs out, listening to the like the boys in the bright white sports car. He was taken out, pulled over by six cruisers. Uh, I really wanted to see that. There was no video or anything oh, like it. Oh, whenever it's good and there's no video, you're just like, why? Oh, I, I'm Trans Am. <laughs> we all with, wanted to see it. Yeah, like like a, a, a 70s Trans Am with the T-roofs out. There are judges who would also really want to see that. No, I know. Oh, it's, everybody's been deprived. So thank you to the man on 8th Street for brightening our day. And congratulations to you, sir, our ridiculous driver of the week. And uh, good luck dealing with those charges in court. Um, if you uh, happen to be listening to our podcast, give us a call and we'll put you in touch with a lawyer in Saskatoon to help you out with that one. And if you need a lawyer not in Saskatoon, give us a call at... 604-685-8889 or find us online vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.